Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all of its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Father, I just thank you for this morning, and um, I need you. We need you. You love us so much that you gather us as your own children to be together, to hear from you, to love you, to love each other. You've kept us in 2020. You're going to keep us in 2021. You're present in those times when they were the darkest. You were present in those times when we didn't know if we are coming or going. You're present in those times when we were in great need. And you're present with us today. And I thank you for being a faithful, faithful God. In Jesus' name, amen. So I think it was last Thursday or this, or no, it was Tuesday, uh, I got a phone call at work from this lady. And she says, you know, I got this letter and it says, if uh, I come in, you'll give me X amount for my vehicle. Um, is this a limited time? And I said, yes, it's a limited time. And she said, okay. And so um, she comes in, she asks for me, and I begin to help her. I, I have her sit at my desk and just start to say, you know, you mentioned something about payments and, and things like that on, on, on the phone. And so I go over what, what, her, what she's requesting, and she begins to tell me that her husband just passed. And um, she said that she got this letter, and, and she just felt like it was him telling her that she should come in and take advantage of this because this whole time in the last, I don't know how many months when they've tried to trade the vehicle in, it's always been, you know, underneath, you know, um, under the equity and not being able to give what she needs. And it was sort of like a car that was maybe going to give her some trouble, high in mileage and things like that. And she, she begins to tell me that, you know, she begins to cry, you know. So I start to listen to her and, and we just start to talk about, uh, I start to listen to her story and, and what had happened. And um, actually she didn't go into it all right away, but she just told me that part and said, okay. So I got, gathered information, gave it to the desk, figured it all out and say, okay, this is what we need to do and what we need to be on. And so we venture out to go look at, for vehicles and um, the vehicles that she should want, that should be in her budget, she doesn't like. And so I'm a little concerned, and I feel for her. And um, we end up circling the dealership, and, like, the only one that she would want was basically a newer vehicle. She couldn't get brand new because we couldn't make the payments on a brand new one. But we found her a 2020 vehicle, uh, 6,000 miles, and it was red. <laughs> And so we go for a test drive in this vehicle, and on the test drive, she begins to tell me what happened. And in, what had happened to her husband was that she, he started to have back pains. And uh, after a while, he, he went to the doctors, and they saw that there was some discs that were starting to come out of place or, or some, uh, you know, a bulging of the discs. And so they gave him different medications. And with those medications, uh, they just didn't work. You know, he tried this one and tried that one. And then it came to this point where he got up one time and just fell over. 
And so she says, I need to take you in. And so he takes him into the hospital, and they start to run all these blood tests. And the blood tests are off the charts with every organ, like, malfunctioning and shutting down. And with the medication, there was a lot of bleeding, and it was just a mess. And what they had found is that he had this virus and they were trying to figure out what kind of virus or sickness that's in his blood that was causing one of his pancreas to, uh, I guess, uh, swell up and push on the back. And this is in December. This is like, this happened in the beginning of December, uh, middle of December is when they're at the hospital. And, and Christmas Eve, he passes away. He had a lymphoma. And I say that because it hit me with a ton of bricks. And obviously I was there with her and, and I was weeping in the car. She was telling me a story and there's more to this. I'll share a little bit later. But that sort of seems how 2020 has come upon us. That all of a sudden, all these things that have happened in our lives that changed everything all at once and things would never be the same. Things for her life would never be the same. She was 21 years married, only like 40, 39 or 40 years old, had been with her husband more than she'd been by herself, a 19-year-old and a 13-year-old at home, two boys. When it comes to the coronavirus this last year, there was a loss of employment, there was loss of freedoms, there was loss of meeting together with loved ones, not able to be able to hug them. I remember going like five months, six months before I was able to hug my son. And the only reason I could hug him is because I had gotten a test done and we had quarantine and then we were able to hug. And I haven't hugged him since. That weighed on me. Me and my boy, I've always hugged him. He is, his, one of his love languages, touch. It's been heavy not being able to be with my, my mom and my father that are across the U.S., um, you know, our, uh, the way we did things in life, we were so busy going everywhere before corona, and then all of a sudden things slowed down. And, and it seemed like we didn't have time for anything, and that was a normal way of life. And now we're slowed down, and, and the way we went to work, we get up, we go in a car, but now people are working from home or they're working on Zoom, and it's just everything has changed all at once. We found the simple things like a meal together or a walk in the park or riding a bike and watching a movie so valuable and so meaningful now. Connection with strangers was lost because now we're wearing these masks and it's really hard to, to know. It's very awkward and hard to connect. And then we come to the murder of George Floyd. For some, it was the first time conversations on racism. And not just racism, but uh, police brutality and so many uh, unnecessary deaths by unnecessary force. For others, there is a continuation of this conversation that people have been having for a long time. And for many, 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 it was just a triggering of trauma that they've experienced. And then we come to the whole presidential election, that process, uh, uh, the, the debates and all that, has brought an all-time high of political wars and social media and in-person division like we've never seen it. We have seen the president of, and then, we, and, and then we, all this has affected the church. Churches, we weren't meeting together, right? We weren't coming together in person. We're meeting online, and we're trying to keep things going, and it affected the church. But I think all of this has affected the church in, in tremendous ways. It seems like it has been a big, huge magnifying glass put on the church.
We have seen presidents of large church networks being removed from their position after decades of service because of their mishandling, uh, their mistreatment of people and being harsh, harsh. We've seen pastors that have, again, ministered for decades, fall into an affair. We have seen pastors take their own lives in this last year. I mean, this has truly affected so many. We've seen so many divisions in the church, as Pastor Jay has said. And I just think about what God must think about this or, or you know, think about his perspective or, or even the greatest illustrations we find in, is in the very word of God with the very first making of the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, right? They had, a ch they had children. But even within them, even within Adam and Eve and their first relationship with God and with each other, they decided to try to do something outside of God's will and plan. They hurt each other. They hurt God. And then their children, you know, Cain kills Abel. And then shortly after that, the earth is populated and God looks at the earth and he says to Noah, he says, the thoughts and the intentions of man are continuously evil. Imagine you're the one, you're God, and you made everything, right? You, you created this. You're perfect. You've never done anything wrong, and this is what you're dealing with. So we see that. So he floods the earth and then populates the earth again. And what do they do? They build a, a, a tower of Babylon to try to, you know, reach God or worship or, or basically make themselves feel like they're better, right? This is all so rough and it's so hard to face. And it's like, what's the purpose? What's the use, we could say? Is there anything that God has on this earth that is good or that is right? Is there anything on this earth? And I believe yes. Yes, I believe there is something good and I believe there's something beautiful and I believe there is something right. And I believe it's the church. And I believe it's the true church. Not the church that's known by how good they are and how bad everyone else is. Not the church that has been around for many decades or the opposite, they've just started a few years and they're the most popular and have the most people. Not by the large number that people attend, not by the massive buildings they have or the beautiful cathedrals and none of that, nothing's wrong with that, but not by that. What is the true church? When I think of that, the scriptures that come to my mind are the ones that Jesus said. He says, you shall know my disciples by love, by their love one for another. And then I think about the scripture that says that Jesus was praying in the garden and he prays three times for one thing, that they would be united. And that's how the world would know and come to believe. So we think about love, right? We think about love and we think about unity. But there is something missing if it's, there's something missing to this. So I want to read a quote uh, from you that someone posted on Instagram. Forgive me for not getting the name, but it says this. Calls for Christianity, Christian unity should never be an excuse for silence in the face of Christian complicity in abuse, in injustice, and disrespect. The often unity has often, too often unity has been used as a weapon to silence rather, rather than a way to love. 
Jesus prayed for unity, yes, but showed us the way of justice. It's quite sad how Jesus has been weaponized as a way for those who have been wounded to be silent in the face of their abuser and complicit in the structure and the oppressions, complicit in the structure that oppresses them. If your Jesus cares more about unity than he does about justice, you need to get rid of him. That type of Jesus is foreign to the stories we read of Jesus in the Gospels. The Jesus of the Gospels understood that it's a, it dishonors the image of God to force those who are wounded to be silent and it diminishes the work of God in creating a world of love and justice. Unity is good and can accomplish great things and is a way we live our Christian life. But unity should never be a way to evade, justify, and deny the terrible ways we've learned to be human, to be Christians, and to, and to be neighbors. Jesus, Jesus didn't do it, and we shouldn't either. When Jesus prayed and prayed for unity, unity he, his idea of unity was consistent with love for others. This meant that his idea would never diminish devalue the humanity of others. Unity meant love. Unity meant power. And unity meant justice. Without these, unity is simply performance. Love is treating one another right. And when we treat one another right, that is justice. Let me read a biblical definition of justice taken from the Bible Project. That's a pretty cool uh, deal they have going on there. Quote, Biblical reference to the word justice means to make right. I mean, we all want to make right. We want to make everything right in our life. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, we're made in God's image because he makes things right. That's not the definition, but anyways, got off track there. Let me continue. Quote, justice is first and foremost a relational term. Many times we think of it as just only as a judicial term. Right? The person that did wrong is going to pay for what he did wrong. It's a relational term. People living in right relationship with God, one another, and natural creation. As God is just and loving, so we are called to do justice and live in love. End quote. And I'll start it again. In Genesis, we see that human beings were made in the image of God. This means to say that humans were created to be God's representatives on earth to carry out his plan, abiding by the morals and concepts of justice that God himself abides by. God never violates wrong. He never does wrong, never does anything that would ever violate him being righteous and just. According to the, to the biblical justice that God sets for, forth, all humans are equal all humans are created in his image, and all humans deserve to be treated with fairness and justice. Of course, as we all know, human beings do not always behave this way. Instead, even in the earliest parts of the Bible, we see humans rejecting God's principles of biblical justice. And this is the heart of it. Instead, of, instead begin defining good and evil 
for themselves in a way that gives them advantage over others. One way or another, I'm going to say this is what's right or this is what's wrong if it can give me an advantage over you. And we see that over and over again. I'll go a little bit more into that in a minute. But let us look at what love is. And I have to be honest, I've missed this. And I'm glad that this has been brought to my attention. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Someone say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing things to our attention. Amen. He loves us so much that he'll tell us the truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 on love, starting with verse 4, it starts to tell us what is love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. That's all relational. Or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not uh, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But verse 6 says it very clearly. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Wrongdoing is injustice. Justice is right doing. Right. Making things right. Love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes on things, endures all things. Love Love never ends. What is love? God is love. This is not a list of things that we can accomplish. This is not a list that that we could do within our own strength and on our own by ourselves. This is not a list to say, this is what I do, and therefore it's my way of one-upping you, right? My way of saying, look how I do these good things, and so therefore I'm an advantage over you because you don't do these things. This is actually to show us that the standard is perfect, God, uh, Jesus says, you want to be good? He says, be perfect. There's the standard. And then what does he say? There is no one perfect. No, not one. Only God is perfect. Even Jesus says, don't refer to me as being good. Only my Father in heaven as, is good. So we see that love is also about justice. Making something Right. In the church, in unhealthy leadership, we'll rationalize our inaction and we will say things when it comes to someone being mistreated or hurt. We have to protect the church as an organization. That's what people say. We have to protect the reputation of the church. I don't know if you're reading the same Bible I'm reading, but the church's reputation isn't all that good. Now, I'm not talking about the position that God puts us, which is in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as his thoughtless bride. That's our position through him. But but the way we are to God, he compares us to a prostitute, right? He says our our righteousness is filthy rags. That's that's us, that, that we are actually someone that goes after other things than God. That's our reputation, that he has to go after us over and over again and save us over and over again. 
So protecting the reputation of the church, or we have to protect the reputation of the church leadership. So therefore, there'll be a silencing of you, or there'll be an, uh, 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 maybe not even dealing with a situation. And just so it says, if you're listening, because they listen, many people listen to us online, if you are at a church that has a culture where your church leadership ignores or worse silences the voices of someone who has been mistreated, abused, violated, or hurt in any way, I plead with you to believe the gospel. That God died for our sins and that we can be vulnerable and real. And there is nothing to protect because we don't have a good, something good to protect. Our reputation is not good. That's why we need Jesus. God will not stop coming after us until we see his goodness and cause us to repent. I know myself, for my own personal story, I have experience where uh, certain individuals in my life have been hurt and abused and, been, and then having to be silenced. Silenced by co-pastors, best friends, quote-unquote, true friends, quote-unquote, within the church, trying to protect the reputation of the organization trying to protect whatever they're trying to protect. But guess what? There's no Christian superheroes, church. There's no church that is perfect. We need to tell people the truth about the church, that the church is no better than those on the outside of the church. See, we're in the most need of God, and the reason is is because we know the truth of God, and then yet we still choose to sin. We still choose to sin, even though we know the truth of God. So how could we be better? We must be more grateful, more thankful, more sensitive, more empathetic, more humble, less, least. Jesus said, if you must become the greatest, you must become the least. See, the Christian is not the one that makes things happen. Christians realize that the only one that makes things happen is God, not us. The flip side to that is that we can do all things through Christ that strengthen in us. It's not a putting down of self-esteem. This is not the esteem of the church. Our esteem is God. Our esteem is that he is our God and we are his children that he is our father, and that our identity is in Christ. The same identity that Christ has, which is a perfect life, living perfectly righteous, the one that has made all things right is our, is our esteem, our self-esteem, our righteousness, our confidence. So therefore, it's endless in what God can and will do in us because it's him that does this does it, and he is endless. His abilities are endless. He's all-powerful. So this is not a put-down, but this is a humility. The very essence of injustice is in the definition that I read. The whole idea is somehow making something right and other things wrong just so we can one-up one another and look down at someone else. And you hear it all the time. With any conversation, you just, not any, but many conversations, you'll hear them today, you'll hear them tomorrow at work, you'll hear them all around you, you'll see it on Facebook. Someone is saying, you have this wrong, so this makes me better than you. 
You have that wrong, and I have this right, so that makes me better than you. It's to one up. We've seen it in the church. You know, whatever name of the church it is, uh, Baptist or Pentecostal or uh, Evangelical or whatever term you want to put it, uh, uh, Reformed. You know, those things are not in the Bible. When, when, when the Christians call themselves, you know what they call themselves? Part of the way. What was the way? The way, the truth, and the life. The way of Jesus. Jesus, part of the way of Jesus. Who named the word Christian were outside of the church. They gave them the name Christian. But for some reason, somehow, we'll take those terms and we'll use them to one-up someone because I'm Reformed or because I'm Baptist or because I'm Pentecostal or because I believe in healing or because I, whatever you want to name it. And I'm not saying any of those things are wrong or bad, but we'll use it. And we use so many other things besides that as we see as humans to one-up someone. And this is what we've seen over and over. One-upping. So how does the true church come about? So we see all of this, and it's like, wow, this is rough. This is hard. This is bad. How does the true church come about? What is the true church? The word church means ecclesia, which means, in Spanish, iglesia. It's the gathering of the church. God is the one who gathers the church. He made the church. He sustains the church. He protects the church. He provides for the church. And he also disciplines and corrects the church. He is the one that brings the church, the ecclesia, the gathering. If we could look at Ephesians chapter 2, tells us how he does this. Ephesians chapter 2 gives us our state of ourselves apart from Christ. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I don't know about you, but when someone passes, they, have, they cannot do nothing for themselves or anyone else ever again. And that's what we were, spiritually dead, in which you once walked uh, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Somebody say, but God. Being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. The church is created by God's grace, and it's immeasurable. In other words, for as much sin did abound, grace abounded even more. For as much as I will fail God, knowing God, living for God, being a pastor for God, grace does abound. God calls in and creates a church that was dead to him, that was enemies to him, that was running from him, that had nothing good to offer him, that actually raised and put their finger to his face over and over again. That's 
what God does. See, the church, the true church is God's working. And what I love about this so much is it's nothing we could ever force. We can never force anyone to become a follower, a believer in God. We can never force anyone to become part of the church. We as pastors are here to steward and to encourage and to be able to witness what Christ is doing in your life. If you're here today, which you are, I see you, you're here, right? And you're gathered here, it's because Christ has gathered you here today. God has kept you. And what that does is it removes injustice in our life of one-upping one another or others outside of the church because we got here because of him. We stay here because of him, and we're going to be with him forever because of him and not because of ourselves. That makes all of us human, all of us equal. None is above the other. As a matter of fact, Jesus is calling to become less than your brother and sister in Christ. Consider others above yourself, doesn't the Bible say? All right? That's his way. He's always opposite. It just doesn't stop there, though. It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us and in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, I know I said that just now, but I want to say it again. If you feel like you've done something that you could never be forgiven for, Grace does abound. If you feel you've gone too far, if you feel like you're on your way out, God's coming after you. He's running after you. See, the lost coin was uh, us being lost and Jesus finding us. The lost sheep, uh, uh, the 99, he leaves. It was us that was lost and he comes after us. The prodigal son that's, run, that's turned his back on God. He, uh, we have a prodigal father, a prodigal God that lavishes his grace and his love to be on the front porch to look out for us and see if we're coming down the road and removes all of the stuff that wants to make us look good and runs, a man should never run in that time, down the road to gather his son and put on his robe of him and put on his ring and kill the fatted calf and have a party. That's the grace I'm talking about. He loves you so much that he will not leave you alone. And that's good news. I could tell you story after story of times where I've ran from God, been in some deep and dark places, some bad places where bad people hang out, right? Who's they? Us, right? That we would consider, oh, no way. He can't be a Christian if you do that. But it wasn't God's law. It wasn't God's punishment. It wasn't God uh, uh, beating me up. It wasn't that. It was his love and his grace that woke me up. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is a gift. We have been gifted with his righteousness. We have been gifted with him saving us, he would have been gifted with this grace and this forgiveness. It's not of our own dealing. It's not a result of work so that no one may boast because that boasting leads to what we talked about, injustice. For we are his workmanship, his workmanship. What's the true church? His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's exactly the answer to what's injustice. We were creating God's image for good works, 
to make what is wrong right. See, God is love, so therefore he is just. He came into the world to make what was wrong right. What was wrong? It was our sin. It was what we did and we do before God. And he comes to make it right, not by us paying for it, which seems so unjust. But he brings justice and righteousness by him paying for it. What was it that was wrong? It was our sin against God and our sin against one another. Now, this lady that I met, um, we're turning the corner. She tell me this story, and we get into the parking lot. We're about to go inside, and she says, you know that my husband's favorite color is red. <laughs> And this was like the only car, I, I think in my mind, that could hold uh, what needed to for her to get that car. It was a 2020, pretty much brand new, 6,000 miles. Um, so as we'd start doing the paperwork and figuring it out, she said, I, I, would, I said, well, do you want to put money down? She says, well, I would like to put, I can put like one, 2,000 down, but I try not to if I can't, if I don't have to. Um, and then she told me her payment amount. So I went to the desk, uh, came back and said, okay, this is what we can do. She agreed on everything, and we were done. I go back to the desk, and I tell them the, her story. Because I've already been bawling. Like, she's already cried three, four more times. I've been crying three, four more times. And I said, I want you to do something for her. I don't care what it is, but you need to do something for her. And uh, my desk, they're so awesome, great, great people. And they says, yeah, definitely. So they took some more money off the sale price, and they said, instead of 2000 1000 And then uh, she finishes with, uh, you know, the, the office where you do all the signing, and she comes out and says, so what was your payment at? And she says, um, X amounts, okay, so it's what you need to be, what you said, okay. But I didn't get gap. I got some other things that, like, help with service and the warranty. said, great, those are good things. So I said, wait right here. I went back, and I said, she didn't get gap. So gap insurance, so you guys know, is in case the vehicle gets wrecked and there's a gap between the value of your loan, a value of the car, and the balance of your loan, they'll pay it off so you're not stuck with negative amount. And I said, she's a widow, and uh, you just charge it to me. And then my, my supervisor said, no, 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 we'll get it done. He goes to the office, they redid it, she goes back in, re-signs, nothing changed on payment, and got her the gap insurance. <laughs> and I said to her, as we're finishing, and I was delivering the vehicle, uh, she was, uh, I don't know how it ca got caught, brought up, but I said, yeah, well, actually, I'm a pastor, and blah, blah, blah. So we, she, she was actually a Christian, actually a believer. And uh, I guess uh, her husband had walked away for a while, but he repented, obviously. And, and uh, and she said, I've been getting these text messages, and people have been saying, like, don't get mad at God, don't get mad at God. And, and of course, this is a very, very fragile situation, so it's not, you know, black and white here, right? Real easy to figure out. But, and she says, but I haven't been getting mad at God. I just see how much he loves me and how much he's taking care of me. She says, even just God's sending me to you, and so you could look out for me in these situations and blah, 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 and X, Y, Z. And, you know, of course, I'm just praising God and, and weeping with her. And in some small way, I feel and I hope that there was 
some justice for her or, or trying to do the right thing. But could you imagine? Could you imagine what she's going through? And I do believe that God sends me. This isn't the only time God has sent me people in certain situations where they needed help. Where maybe someone wouldn't, they would have listened, but they wouldn't work towards something that would be beneficial for them. Not because they have to, because we don't have to. But the Bible says when it's possible to do good, then to try to do it. I don't know, the church with 2021, me and Jay were talking about it and At first, at the beginning of 2020, I was really scared because we're not going to be gathering. You know, um, what's going to happen to the church? And then everything that followed after that was, was like a, a way of causing division in the church. Uh, and I saw it with so many people in families, in, in workplaces, in churches. I mean, we've seen it. Everybody's seen it. It's all been public. Just begin to think about what is the church and, and what does God have for the church and what is God doing? And I remember at the beginning of the year, I remember very strongly like the Lord impressing that he, is, he wants us to get the church prepared for what he's always said. When Jesus called to his disciples to follow him, he says, you must leave everything and follow me. And they left everything and they followed him because why? He was everything they were looking for. And I believe that that's where we're headed as a church. And it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it, it's a little scary. Yes, I understand that. We're human. We feel things. This is not something that we do, you know, without feeling like, like zombies, like robots. But, but it's, it's a lot to go through. But I believe God is calling us to a place that what matters most is him and this relationship with him and loving others the same way he loves us. And I believe he's doing it in this church and he's doing it in churches across America and in this world. Because I don't believe our God has changed one bit. And if you look through the whole Bible, you will see him going after people and bringing justice over and over and over again. And he did it not just then, but he did it with his own son. By bringing justice, the greatest beauty and picture of justice all mankind has ever seen. For dying for someone that he shouldn't have died for. For his wrath being poured on his innocent son and giving us not one chance, not a second chance, but a million chances over and over again. And I believe it's going to continue in the future. I believe God is going to continue to call out and purify his church and his bride. And it's not in this legalistic way where we think we have to dress a certain way and act a certain way. I know I believe that he's going to get the hearts of those that love him and cause them, as he says in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, he'll give them a new heart and change it from a new heart from stone and change it to a heart of flesh that will say, I want nothing but Jesus, I want to obey him, I want to live for him, I want to die for him, and I want to love others the way he loves me. Amen. Last thing about justice, about God's love and justice, which is very eye-opening and very dear to me, is that God cares about the person which has been me and has been you, that has been in, un, unjust to someone. He cares about you. Just as much as he cares about the person that has been a victim of some kind of hurt or pain or abuse. 
He cares about them both. And the thing about God's justice is this, is that it has to deal with God's forgiveness. See, when we forgive because Christ has forgiven us, truly forgive, number one, it does not mean that we just overlook and close our eyes to the wrong that happened and stay silent and do nothing. That is not what it means. Forgiveness means that we no longer hold it against them, right? That we no longer make them pay for it. That we no longer disfame them or discredit them or talk bad about them. That we actually can see that given the circumstances that they grew up in or whatever happened to them to cause them to do what they did, we could have done. Again, it doesn't one-up us on them. And that's hard to come to terms with, especially if you're in the stage of anger when it comes to you being hurt. If you're in anger, you want nothing but revenge. I've wanted revenge. I've wanted to get back so bad. But the most painful part was me. Me. Me wanting that. I was in the pain. I was being hurt. I was being poisoned. But when you have forgiveness that God gives you, it only comes by God. God can only allow you to forgive. He allows you to forgive. All of a sudden, you no longer have that hurt and pain as it used to be. And you no longer want what's bad for them. And the only thing that you really want, which you may never get, is for them to realize what they've done and turn to God. And it may never happen, but you want it. And that's justice. That's justice. That is justice. That's what I want. I'm in a situation that I'm dealing with that's been going on for a while in my own personal life. And it has to do with church leaders and pastors, not here. That I'm dealing with that right now. Why do you keep silencing me? Why do you keep not dealing with it? Why do you don't want to talk about it? What are you afraid to lose? Your reputation is no good anyways. You already hurt me. You already hurt my family. Are you afraid to get sued? I could have done that a long time ago. Are you afraid of me to put it on, uh, uh, on blast? I could do that, but I don't want that. What I want for you to see is me. See me as a person. See that I matter. See that it hurt. And see, most important, that you did that because you matter. See, whenever we don't tell somebody what they did is wrong and we just blow it over and no big deal, just because we don't want them to get upset or maybe go commit suicide or, or who knows what's going to happen, we think, right? We think of the worst. Oh, if I tell them what they really did, it's going to be, or they get revenge with us or get mad at us or divide from us. When we don't do that, what we do is we're saying that I'm okay for you to stay where you're at, that I really don't love you. I really don't care about what you've done. And basically we're saying you don't matter. When someone realizes they've done wrong, that means what they do matters. That gives them dignity. Even if it was wrong, it still makes them know that what I do matters. And by God's grace, we pray. And just like the Bible says, it is like, wakes them up from their sleep. Gives them eyes to see from their blindness. And hopefully a heart to feel from the hardness that they've had. And there's a reason why. There's always a story. 
And the thing that I love most about this church, or at least about uh, the leadership of this church, Pastor Jay leading us in this way, no matter what it comes to in 2021, no matter what other topics come our way, no matter what our sicknesses or situations come our way, no matter what happens, we're going to believe the gospel. And what the gospel says is that I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. Only God is good enough. Therefore, I'm going to listen to you, even if you're wrong, even if you're mean, even if you're hurtful. And I ask that you listen to me. And that's how we want to deal with other people. That's how we want to treat other people. We want to be able to have conversations. We want to be able to see them. We want to be able to hear them. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus lived out this righteousness. He came to listen to a people that, weren't, that were silenced. He came to listen to a people that were put aside as outcasts, that were no good. And he put it on blast that the two, the Gentile and the Jew, will now become one. And now we are one in Christ. If you divide people, you're no longer one. You're no longer, made, you're no longer exemplifying the image of God. And that's why Jesus prayed for it three times. That's what's at stake is our unity but our unity has to come from being honest and being real and being vulnerable. Why? Because we're in the gospel. Well, there's no reputation to save anymore. There's no trying to be right or be good. We don't need that. We don't, we don't need to do that. We already know we've been wrong. That's why we're all here. There's not a person here that doesn't understand that they've done wrong, and that's why they need Jesus. And everyone needs Jesus. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's God's thing. So, last but not least, God wants to make what's wrong right in our life. And he does that by calling us to him. Calling us to him dying on the cross for our sins calling us to him forgiving us, calling us to him raising on the third day that when we live, we might live through him and in him. So 2021, let's all stand. The spotlight is on the church. What is good what is beautiful, what is right on this earth, I believe it's you, I believe it's the church, and it's God's work in you. So we're going to pray for our church, we're going to pray for all churches, and we're going to pray for 2021, that God will continue to make right what has been wrong from now until eternity, as he already has. Because what does Ephesians say? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want you to know that God has many, many, many good works for you to walk in them. And they're limitless. That you have a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's written. It was written beforehand. So no matter what mistakes you make, God still has so many good works for you to walk in. Because he did it way before 
whether you did right or wrong. There's nothing that you can do to keep you from walking in good works because God already prepared them. There's nothing. So let us pray. Father, I pray for 2021. I pray for our church, our church leadership, for every member, for every member is truly a leader. They are walking in this life, and whenever they do something, whether it's following the speed limit or whether they uh, forgive somebody or whether they serve somebody, they are doing justice. They are making what was wrong right. So I pray for our church that we will stay a sincere and humble church, a church that hears one another, a church that hears the voice of those that are not being listened to, a church that loves those that everyone else does not want to, a church that loves one another, that forgives one another, that has hard conversations that are difficult so we can be able to see your work in our lives, God. Not that we're going to do this, but we pray, God, that you do this. Again, it's you that gathers. It's you that creates the good works. It's you that does what's impossible, God. It's you working in us. I pray for us in 2021 that we'll continue to see this, that we'll fall in love with all that you are, and that we'll be just like your disciples as you told them, come follow me and leave everything. We want to follow you into 2021 in Jesus' name. How many agree with that? How many want to follow Jesus in 2021? Amen. Praise God.